0: plushcare.com slash weight loss. In order to truly disrupt this model, what we're seeing to be successful is lots of different fintech companies and disruptors attacking each one of those blocks. And so if you think about the the stack of blocks toppling over, that's kind of the the representation of all the fintechs that are attacking each part of the vertically integrated uh, sort of institution.
1: G'day and welcome to the Equity Investor Journey podcast, brought to you by the Australian Shareholders Association. I'm Phil Muscatello. Today, I'd like to welcome Doug Morris, CEO of ShareSight, the share portfolio tracking tool. G'day, Doug.
0: Hi, Phil. Thanks for having me on.
1: So we're talking about disruption in very disrupted times. How do you define disruption?
0: Oh, geez, that's a good question. It's, it's a term that's gotten kind of used, I think, well and then kind of misused over the years as kind of the tech industry has, has taken hold. But uh, I guess disruption uh, uh, from my perspective is is any company who fundamentally changes the way that consumers uh, sort of feel about a, a, a service or a good, you know, and it becomes the kind of the, the, the way we do things, I, I would say is. Is, is the marker of a disruptor
1: in the true sense. Have you got any examples of that to uh, to illustrate? Uh, well, I suppose
0: if we kind of broaden the lens away from uh, from finance or investing, I mean, you know, I think Uber, honestly, is it's that's the one I go to when people ask me this question. Um, you know, taxis for so long were just a, a fact of life, you know, living especially in a city uh, anywhere in the world. You, you kind of knew what a taxi was. A taxi performed a taxi service, and you knew kind of the experience was going to be, you know, like riding in a taxi. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um,
0: yeah. but Uber just fundamentally changed all that. And I go back to my, uh, first ever experience with Uber it was about 2011, uh, in San Francisco where they started and a, a friend of mine showed me how it worked and I was just floored. I mean, I just thought that was the coolest thing and, and really, the, the not having to exchange cash, this was in the States with a taxi driver, was just the best part of it because, you know, especially in the States where you've got lots of cash payments still and you've got tipping and you've got change and it's just such a pain, you know, kind of shoving it through that little bulletproof glass window. Uh, so avoiding that, uh, in addition to just ordering it from your phone. Was just, it was just pure, it was just pure disruption. And, and, and it just took hold like wildfire as a result.
1: Wow. That's a strange concept. Bulletproof glass in a taxi for us Aussies. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Some of the, some of the old ones still have that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, who benefits from disruption?
0: Well, I think for a true disruptor to kind of come out of the scene and, and, and become a permanent fixture of the way we kind of live our lives, you'd have to say consumers. So if, if a consumer can, can benefit from one of these companies, that's, that's kind of the mark of a true disruptor. But also, you know, the, the companies themselves obviously benefit from disruption. Now, a lot of these disruptors may not be, you know, sort of revenue-generating companies. They may be tech companies running heavy losses, but, uh, but you could argue that they would.
1: And there's, um, there's a lot of inf- efficiencies involved. I mean, I'm just thinking in particular about um, a lot of members know about the company Zero, and um, it's, it's a very good illustration of how... Something that was done a certain way in the past is now done way more efficiently.
0: Absolutely, and, and the, the zero example is a good one. I, we we do a lot of work with zero ourselves. We we run ShareSite using zero. You know, I came in to to run a tech company at ShareSite, and and I just took control of the of the zero files immediately, and it was just it was just so easy. I think, yeah, but zero, you know, accounting software certainly wasn't something that zero invented, but they tweaked it in such a way that they made it cloud based and they really made it collaborative. Uh, and they made the user experience really good. In addition to just having just great software as well, you know, Zero certainly has been a disruptor, but they didn't necessarily invent the category uh, that they're playing in. If that makes sense.
1: Before we go on a bit uh, any further with the interview, let's um let's have a bit of an overview of Sharesight, the company that you run, because um, th- th- these two topics, disruption and site, are quite intertwined. Mm.
0: Yeah. So ShareSight is a portfolio tracking uh, software solution. Uh, We provide our product to self-directed investors and also professionals. We allow investors to get clarity around their true performance calculations. So we let you connect ShareSight to your broker. We let you combine multiple accounts. We'll show you benchmarking and performance analytics, and we'll help you on the tax reporting side of things as
1: well. So in terms of ShareSight, um, how does ShareSight see itself as a disruptor and how, how have you changed things?
0: Yeah, I suppose we're, we're sort of in, in a similar vein as, as Zero, really. You know, we, we did not at all create the concept of, <laughs> of portfolio tracking. Portfolio trackers have been around for years. They've been sort of um, downloadable software programs from a wide range of companies. They've been attached to some online brokers, you know, the likes of Google and Yahoo have, have dabbled with, with portfolio tracking solutions as well. But I think like zero, what we did is we, we created a, a really honestly, a professional grade software solution. So a, a solution that can be used by serious self-directed investors or by professionals. And we made it cloud-based, which when we launched the business about 10 years ago was, was still kind of a new concept. And then we applied a, a freemium business model, which means that it, it's kind of like Spotify. You, you can use a version of ShareSite for free forever and it's quite a fully featured for, uh, version and it is quite generous. And so what we did really is we kind of uh, took an existing concept, we we made it, you know, really good in terms of the software build that we did, and then we we made it available in a, in, a, in a in a rather disruptive business model, I guess you could say. Um and so that's kind of how we've charted our course.
1: So wealth management, um fintechs are disrupting the world of wealth management. How's that happening?
0: Yeah, so um Disruption in in financial services and wealth management's been been really interesting to watch. I think it's been, you know, I, going back to my example of Uber before, Uber was just, just totally disruptive almost overnight, really around the world. But financial services has been more of a slow burn. There's been a lot of good uh, sort of think pieces written on why hasn't, you know, the banking system been totally overturned by the likes of Apple or Google, you know, surely these companies could do it, that kind of thing. But I think, Fin services and wealth management, uh, they're just a bit different because there are so many different, you know, vertically integrated companies out there. And, and the metaphor we use at ShareSight, it's like imagine a bank or a, or a big funds manager is, is like a stack of blocks stacked up vertically. In order to truly disrupt this model, what we're seeing uh, to be successful is lots of different fintech companies and disruptors attacking each one of those blocks. And so if you think about the, the stack of blocks toppling over, that's kind of the, the representation of all the fintechs that are attacking each parts of the vertically integrated, uh, sort of institution. But, you know, it, it's, it's also true that people, you know, they, they trust banks and they like banks and, and that might sound like a, a radical statement, but there is some comfort. And I think this is true for, for older generations, especially, there is some comfort in an institution that's been around for a long time that has a, a large building, uh, and, and sort of Roman, Pillars out front of it, you know. Banks perform uh, a critical service, obviously for consumers and for economies, and and everyone kind of needs a bank account, right? You, you need a bank account to 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 buy things, to get paid your salary into. You know, here in Australia, we we need superannuation accounts because they're mandatory. And so, what we say at Chairside is that financial services they tend to be sold rather than bought, right? Consumers don't really sort of you know, enthusiastically go out shopping for financial services, you know, like you would something else online, you sort of tend to need them. And then more services are sold to you on top of those. And so I think disruption in in financial services and wealth management's been been slower, but it is happening.
1: So what are some examples in of that?
0: Yeah. So examples would be, if you think about that vertically integrated stacking and kind of toppling over, right? So think about uh, retail banking uh, for transactional accounts and savings accounts and kind of basic banking requirements there there are what we know what we now call neobanks that are coming out of the scene um so in the uk they've had a lot of traction with these with with banks like mozo and uh, revolute and these are essentially just totally online companies that handle uh, transactions and savings uh and, and sort of travel money accounts and then i suppose in the kind of the the investing space the companies there would be robo advisors and th- they are essentially um online financial advisors that will provide a basic asset allocation mixture for you based on your risk tolerance and your time horizon. And then they'll invest your money on your behalf into a, a preset menu of, of ETFs. Um, so it's kind of broad-based, low-level financial planning vis-a-vis ETF investing. Um, so those are probably two prime examples.
1: Yeah and I guess the, um, one of the points one of the benefits of for example Robo advisors is that they keep costs to investors down.
0: They do yeah, they really do and, and, and Robo investing we, we work with a lot of uh, Robo advisors in terms of sort of technology partnerships and we, we love what they do because you know they, they really make investing accessible and, and and easy and low cost for for beginner investors uh, in particular. So we really like what they're doing.
1: Who, who are some of those, uh, those companies so that uh, listeners can have a, go and check them out?
0: Yeah, so one in particular are, are our mates at uh, Park. They provide a, a really good uh, menu of ETFs and, and asset allocation overlays. So you know, if you're a young person who has a higher risk tolerance, who wants to be invested for a long time, they'll say, okay, here you go. Here's a preset bucket of ETFs that we'll put your money into. And they've got a really nice online platform um, and, and really a, a lot of good educational content around investing as well.
1: So what are some of the barriers faced by fintechs from incumbents in the industry? Are there any, any walls that you need to knock down?
0: Uh, definitely. I mean, I think the, 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 the two things that come to mind are getting regulatory approval or certification. Now, fortunately for Sharesight, this is not an area we need to worry about. We are, we're a purely a tech company that provides a sort of a presentation layer for investors. But if you are in the lending space, if you're in the payment space, if you're in the banking space, certainly, or the investing space too, chances are, depending on what sort of jurisdiction you're operating in, you're going to need to get regulatory approval, which has become really, really expensive, particularly in the wake of the, the global financial crisis um, 10, 12 years ago. So that's, that's a big barrier. The other one, I would say too, is 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 data portability, which is <laughs> if your eyes are glazing over, I, I don't blame you, um, but it, but it's really <laughs> it's really important. If you think about kind of the multiple bank accounts you and, and and your wife or partner may have, if you think about sort of all the different places your investments may live, you know, like online brokers, superannuation, perhaps overseas. So in my case, you know, I'm an American. Um, li- li- have been living in Australia for years. Um, you know, I've got accounts scattered all over the place, and then you multiply that by two uh, with my wife. And so, unlocking that data and bringing it all together is a real challenge for fintechs. Fintechs are, are advocating for policies um, um, like open banking, which has come online in the UK, which allows the consumer to to, to basically port their data from one bank to another, for example, or your investment history from, from one fund manager to another. Um, because it's all well and good to sign up to a fintech, but then it's like, okay, you need to get your data in there and get your ID verified and all that kind of stuff. That, that's a major challenge for for fintech startups.
1: And it's uh, that's really one of the, the benefits of fintech startups is that like with ShareSite, suddenly things that were once manually entered are all done automatically on your behalf. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, assuming you can kind of get over that data hurdle, and we we spend a lot of, of time and money at Sharesight doing that. But assuming you can kind of get there, yeah, the automation and, and the savings thereafter are just it, just incredible. We're able to replicate a lot of the things that a traditional full service investment platform or wrap account would do in software that's actually free <laughs> for for many investors. You know, and we just do that given given our cloud based business model and kind of our, our DIY approach. Um, to investing
1: So what's the problem with the uh, reports that online brokers such as Comsec provide? Um, why would you need something more than what the, the broker would uh, provide to you?
0: Yeah, so this is something this is feedback and questions we get all the time when we're at, at, at shows or when we're at, um, you know we're meeting with clients and things like that. The online broker, their main uh, sort of emphasis and their main mission is to get you to trade more. Right? They want you to store cash with them because they make a margin on cash and then they want to, they want to get you to trade. And in terms of the reporting side of things with brokers, um, they're only as good as the trades you've made in their platform. And, and they really haven't put much uh, investment in an area. So, for example, if if you look at somebody like Comsec, what you'll see on there is, is a very basic figure that's green or red, and that's basically a total return. So if you've bought um, shares in say zero, sort of six, seven years ago, you know you'll be looking at some outrageously high, percent gain, right? And they call it kind of performance gain depending on where you're looking on that platform. All that is is a comparison of the share price today versus the share price when you bought it. It doesn't factor in any dividends, it doesn't factor in any foreign currency. Now, zero is listed in Australia, but it used to be listed in New Zealand. Nor does it factor in annualized returns, right? So we like to do things in annualized chunks at ShareSight because, you know, you could pay it an annual salary you you pay school fees on an annual basis, you do an an annual household budget. Everything we kind of do as as sort of responsible financial human beings is done in annual increments. And so we think that using an annualized performance methodology just makes a lot of sense.
1: And it's also good for benchmarking so that you can look at um, other investments as well and compare how yours are going to...
0: Absolutely, yeah. It's 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 a great way to kind of normalize your investment performance versus a benchmark or anything else in
1: in your financial life. How about self managed super funds? Um, are there many people using ShareSite for SMSFs?
0: Yeah, so about forty um, percent of our client base in Australia track their their SMSF on ShareSite. I think SMSFs are just an awesome product for investors, and 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 whenever I explain them to to my friends in in other places around the world, they're always they're always quite jealous. So, I mean, the the definition of a self-managed super is self, right? It's a DIY product. And where we really provide a lot of value is for those, those DIY SMSF trustees who are running their own portfolio. You know, they're buying and selling shares and ETFs and managed funds. And we can do a lot of not only the performance tracking, of course, but also the admin work as well to bring down their annual
1: running costs. ShareSight gets a lot of data from um, seeing what people are trading. In these current volatile times, what what are you picking up? What sort of things are investors becoming more in, more or less interested in?
0: Yeah, so our, our, our data guys are looking at this, uh, I think, on a daily basis. I was just chatting with, with somebody this morning about this. You know, our client base tends to be buy and hold value, sort of value-based investors, which means they're looking for high quality companies trading at a discount to their their book value in, in the academic sense. And you know, when the market comes off 31% due to an unexpected pandemic, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of value out there. And so when we look at our sort of trading patterns at uh, ShareSite, site, uh, we look at sort of the buying and the selling and the and the, most, uh, the most heavily traded uh, shares or instruments. They tend to be kind of the you know the, the, the normal companies you'd expect in the, in the ASX 200. Uh, and then some of the big ETFs as well. But what we're seeing is we're not seeing selling. We're seeing a lot of buying of ETFs that track global market indices and a lot of the blue chip Aussie companies as well.
1: I guess at this point, we should uh, point out that this information that you have is completely anonymous, isn't it?
0: It is, absolutely. Yeah, we we, we take great steps to, to protect the information that our customers uh, entrust with us. And this stuff is all done in a purely anonymized way. Uh, So none of us at ShareSite have access to the to the actual information uh, stored in client portfolios.
1: But um, you do provide um, newsletters and information about what people um, what are the most traded stocks and ETFs. We do, yes, on on a
0: generic anonymized basis. Yeah,
1: Mm -hmm. yeah. But that's useful information. It's uh, like a little bit of a snapshot about what people other people are doing, isn't
0: it? It is. Yeah, indeed, indeed. It's it's interesting to see the trends over time as well. I mean, the usage of ETFs has really ramped up at ShareSite. and the purchasing of, of, of overseas shares has really ramped up over the last few years as well, particularly kind of the, the tech blue chip stocks like, like Apple and, and these days Microsoft, where people are sort of flocking to, uh, <laughs> to those, those ultra-safe companies in, in these sort of uncertain times.
1: Okay, Doug, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Phil. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice as we don't know your personal financial situation, so you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation.